Great, thanks, Sam. Very well read, honestly. No one takes me seriously, do they? <laughs> uh, we're continuing our series uh, in 1 Samuel, so uh, do keep that open. I'm going to pray, and then uh, let's have a look for it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of David, which in so many ways uh, points us to uh, the Lord Jesus, and in other ways reminds us of his and our need for the Lord Jesus. Uh, we pray as we look at this passage that we would learn uh, from him and others here in this word, in your word here. Pray that your spirit would speak to us, to our hearts. Pray that we would be uh, willing to hear and respond. Pray that we would be challenged and encouraged. And pray most of all that your son Jesus would be glorified. Amen. Great. Uh, well, we associate ourselves with things all the time, don't we? Uh, we uh, perhaps if you look through the apps on your phone, you'd be associated with lots of things just on your phone alone. Uh, you might uh, associate yourselves with uh, companies or uh, for your benefit, perhaps a shopping app or a, a reward app uh, or the odd game. Uh, if you look through my apps, then most of them will just be things that give me free stuff. Uh, and I'm very happy to be associated with those. Good morning. It's not the same as allegiance. Uh, the moment any of those apps start charging me, for example, I just get rid of them. I'm not interested. Uh, it's not worth it. Uh, you expect that when you sign up for things, you're, it's for your benefit. So you associate with them, but you're not going to give more than you think is worth giving to those things. The moment you get too many ads, too many emails, we're out. We're associated with them, them but we're not allegiant to them. I had a debate this week with Claire, of all people, as to whether allegiant is a word. Yeah. She said, uh, I looked it up and couldn't find it, and then realized I'd misspelt it. So it is a word, uh, and it's just the kind of action side of being uh, having allegiance to something, you are allegiant to it, okay? Trust me. If it isn't a word, tough luck. You know what it's meant to mean. Uh, it kind of means loyal and committed, doesn't it, to be allegiant to someone or have allegiance. Uh, and often at your own risk or your own sacrifice, you show your allegiance by being allegiant. And that's what we're considering today. That's what I think we see in this passage. What is our relationship to God's anointed one, to Jesus? Uh, it might be outright rejection if we don't believe in him at all. Uh, and if you're in that boat, then I hope hearing about the Lord's anointed today, hearing about Jesus, uh, will cause you to consider him further yourself. But for the rest of us, most of us, will face this challenge, I think, as to whether we are associated or allegiant to Jesus. So that's our first point, association or allegiance. Now, in our passage today... Uh, we meet the Ziphites, and now nobody likes a telltale. That's what my mother used to tell me pretty much every time I opened my mouth. No one likes a telltale, Sam. And the Ziphites, in verse 1, are certainly telltales. They were there back in chapter 23, also reporting to Saul that David, uh, where David was. So have a look at verse 1. The Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding in the hills of Hakila, which faces Jeshuamon? Is that right, Sam? <laughs> the fact that Saul is still pursuing David is a bit of a mystery. Uh, if you think back to chapter 23, uh, he spared his life in the cave. 
David has been anointed to be the next king by Samuel the prophet, the now deceased Samuel that we saw last week. He is going to be the next king, but he's not trying to take power or authority by his own strength and his own timing. He's trusting God. And uh, when David cut off the bit of David, uh, Saul's robe in the cave when Saul was relieving himself, reminds me of another childhood story, but not one for now. Uh, David was showing his allegiance to Saul. He showed him mercy, and despite Saul's unfounded aggression towards him to kill him, David spared him. And yet Saul's still pursuing him in this chapter. Now, if I were David, I would have had enough by this point. He knows he's going to be the next king. He knows Saul is an evil man and not trusting and following God's way. Uh, so David surely had enough. Well, following the intelligence reports from the Ziphites to Saul, uh, Saul assembles a 3,000 strong uh, military force. They, these are the special forces of the day. Did you see that? These are the elite, the strongest, the best. And they, they set off to take out David. Saul and his troops make camp for the night and kind of form an impenetrable circle of 3,000 special forces troops around the king who sleeps in the middle, uh, nice and safe. Uh, verse 5. Then David, hearing about this, set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Mer, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army and camped around him. So there, there's our scene. Now, I think what we've learned from 1 Samuel is that the military techniques and intelligence services and reports uh, of this time were not naive. These were kings and commanders who knew what they were doing, techniques and communications that were advanced. So what David says next and his request is quite extraordinary. Have a look at verse six. David said, then asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai son of Zerui, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. There must be a reason this verse is here. It's kind of odd, isn't it? Why are these two people picked out? Why, why are we even told? What's going on? One is Ahimelech. He's a foreigner, not the priest who was killed a few chapters ago by Saul. This is a different one. He is a man counted among the 600 men that are following Saul around, those desperate men who associate with David, uh, but here declines to follow him into something that looks hard or dangerous. He, Ahimelech, will never be mentioned in the Bible again. This is his one moment of glory, and he turns down the anointed one of God. Abishai, on the other hand, not only associates with David, but is willing to follow him into dangerous places. He will be the regular right-hand man of David for a long time. He's mentioned numerous times in the Bible from this point forward in 2 Samuel and 1 Chron Chronicles. And I can't think of any other reason for these two to be mentioned by name in this way, uh, to be asked to, by David to go forward with him, other than it shows that one of them has a mere association with David and the other one is allegiant to God's anointed. Ahimelech associates with David for his own gain, for his comfort, for his safety, for that kind of community that he's in looking for refuge. Whereas Abishai, he's also amongst those 600 men. He's probably there for exactly the same kind of benefits. They're not wrong things to want from your savior. But there's more than just his personal gain that he's interested in. He's seen that David is worthy 
and deserves his allegiance, not just his association. In other words, he's not selfishly associated. He is selflessly allegiant to David. Now, I don't know whether you've thought about your own relationship with the anointed one of Jesus in these terms, but it's a good question to ask, isn't it? Do we associate with Jesus or are we allegiant to him? Do we listen to his word because it makes us feel better about ourselves or because, you know, we want to do things uh, better in our life, make our life a bit better? Or do we listen to his word because we want to do things better for him? Do we come to church to be part of something that feels safe, part of a community? Or because we want to also sacrificially give to Jesus and his other followers around, for he is our Lord. Is following Jesus done at our convenience when it fits in with our own ideas and our own plans and our own comforts? Or is following Jesus done at our inconvenience where we give up our worldly comforts and for the sake of the one who loves us and we love in return? In a short, do we associate with Jesus for personal gain? Dare I even say it, do we associate with Jesus just so that we're sort of forgiven and given a place in heaven? That's surely why Ahimelech associates with David. He wants to be safe and saved. Or are we allegiant to Jesus? For he is worthy as well. Of course, we want to be saved. There are great benefits from associating with the anointed one of God. But are we prepared to be allegiant to him, to follow him into every danger, letting go of our selfish gain for his sake? See, association may mean that you're never heard of again in the kingdom of God. For your faith might be based on love for yourself rather than love for Jesus, who loves you. And that's no relationship at all, is it, really? But allegiance means we will be great in the kingdom of God. Mentioned numerous times. For your faith is based on love for Jesus and his love for us at the expense of our love for ourselves. It's a question I think that simple verse raises. And it's a dangerous position to be in if we find, if we find that we love ourselves before Jesus a dangerous place to be wouldn't it if we find we love ourselves more than we love Jesus well perhaps one test for our allegiance is to be demonstrated by David as we go forward in this passage see allegiance means that we're going to trust and obey and follow uh, our, the anointed one even when it's hard and even when the future is a mystery to us so our second point is allegiance even in God's mysterious ways uh, let's see what happens next so David and Abishai sneak into Saul's camp, uh, right up to where Saul himself lies asleep. Saul's famous spear is stuck in the ground next to his head. This is the spear he just lobs at anyone he loses his temper with, including uh, David, including his son, Jonathan. It's a sign of his power and his authority and all of, also his kind of slightly unhinged nature. Uh, verse 8 Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. You've kind of got to like Abishai, haven't you? Uh, Let me serve you, David. I won't make a mistake. This will only happen once. Reminds me of another childhood story that didn't end well again for another time. Uh, and surely David's got to be tempted, hasn't he, at this point? 
He spared Saul's life before, and Saul is still pursuing him. Finish it now, surely. This has got to be the end. But David's opinion is a bit different. He hasn't received any instruction from God himself. Uh, David has learned from last week's chapter that trusting and obeying God's word, not seeking hurt against even our enemies, is the right way forward, whatever is going on. God will avenge. God will bring justice in his good timings. Uh, last week, the fool, Nabal, uh, took advantage of David and nearly killed, and David nearly killed uh, Nabal and all the men in his household. But instead, David chose the way of wisdom. And nearly instantly, if you remember, God brought about justice on Nabal and he died of a heart attack 10 days later. The lesson David learned last week is that God is in complete control and there is never a time when we should seek to overrule God's commands just to kind of suit our own, uh, our own desires and will. David has learned to be patient and trusting even when God's ways are mysterious. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's got no idea as we're about to see in verse 9. And it's an encouragement to us, isn't it, that in our complex and our painful lives, that God works in mysterious ways, but that doesn't mean he isn't in control. Uh, listen to why David's, uh, some of David's reasonings about why he doesn't kill Saul. Have a look at verse 9. David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? So he's thinking about sin and right, righteousness before God. As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he'll go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and the water jug near his head and let's go. In other words, he might die today, says David. He might die another day. He might just die of old age. He might go into battle and die in battle. The Lord's ways are mysterious. I have no idea how God will bring justice in this situation, and justice does need to come. God's ways are mysterious, but David rely, remains completely allegiant to God. There is no escape from God's judgment, is David's uh, theology. God will avenge all who come before his anointed one, all who stand against God's plans and wills. His mysterious ways then can be trusted. And the fact that they're shown to be mysterious actually gives us a, a confidence, doesn't it? That in our naivety of not knowing all of God's plans, there's no reason, not, no reason to doubt him. Uh, many of us will have been perhaps tempted uh, or perhaps have taken the future into our own hands. We've done the opposite of what David did here. We've not trusted in God's ways uh, and in God's mysterious ways, and we've uh, done things our own way. Some difficult topics kind of spring to mind, uh, perhaps divorce or sex outside marriage or abortion or morally complicated IVF treatments. They're all sort of things that we, we choose our own way rather than necessarily trusting God's mysterious ways because we want to fix them for ourselves and, and make our, our own lives comfortable. That's to be associated with God and his ways, isn't it? As opposed to choosing allegiance to his mysterious ways, however painful that may be to us. We want to solve the problems our ways rather than trusting his so today, if you stand 
against God's anointed, the Lord Jesus, if we choose repeatedly our way, not his, if we all reject Jesus or simply just associate ourselves with him, never truly giving him our allegiance, then God's justice will catch up with us, just as David trusted it would catch up with Saul. His ways are mysterious, and we may do very nice, thank you very much, for, for the now, by trusting our own ways and doing things our own way in this life. But the judgment of God will face us when we die or when Jesus returns, whichever comes first. David will learn this same lesson, won't he? Uh, we referred to it last week, uh, looking forward into his life where he commits adultery and then murder with Bathsheba and Bathsheba's husband. He too will learn that following his own ways uh, only leads to judgment. He too will learn that he needs uh, what of God's anointed, the Lord, to save him from himself. That's what we're saved from, isn't it? Saved from ourselves, from our own ways, our own sin. And so what a joy it is for us, for those of us who have made dark and grave mistakes, both recently and in the past. We can repent. We can be forgiven. <coughs> we can be allegiant to God's ways. Jesus is for us, even when so often we're not for ourselves. So what are we going to learn? We're going to learn to trust God's mysterious ways, whatever they look like, against our own wills and our own way forward. We don't need to fight for our will, for our comfort. We need to align ourselves to the Lord Jesus. But it's not just a sure hope of God bringing justice ultimately that we can rely on. You see, God in this passage and in our lives also brings us everything we need to be allegiant to him. It's not just a case of, well, we'll always get it wrong and we can never get it right. Here in this passage, David is given what he needs to achieve what God wants him to achieve. So David escapes the camp with a spear and a water jug. Uh, they were both by Saul's head. It seems like a ridiculously unlikely story, doesn't it? 3,000 special forces troops. and uh, David just walks out. Everyone's asleep. No one knows it. Uh, well, it, the clue is that it's just not David's time to die. The Lord protected him. Have a look at verse 12. So David took the spear and the water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw and knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. How is this possible? They were all sleeping because the Lord had put, him in, put them into a deep sleep. You see, the mysterious ways of the Lord are far from disconcerting for those of us who follow they are gloriously emboldening so that we can follow him. We are able to be allegiant to God and his ways, even when it seems like the most difficult thing to do. He will make it possible. David's confidence to enter the enemy camp of special forces was seemingly suicide. They'd have surely had round-the-clock watchmen on every side, keeping an eye out on things. But today was not David's time to lose, and God protected him. David was bold because he knew God's ways are mysterious and therefore he can trust him. He could not die unless God willed it. He'd been promised he was going to be the future king. And it's true for us too. We're not going to be the future king. Don't mishear me there. But perhaps when we're forgetting God's great truths, uh, we can remember that God cares for us. He will make his will possible in our lives. We cannot fail to, 
succeed if we choose God's will, even if it feels or looks like failure to us and those around. You see, we need never hear the word of God and say, I can't do that. Because we can hear the word of God and always say we can do that because God is faithful. God's ways are mysterious. He is sovereign and he desires us to succeed uh, to obey his will. And we can. Perhaps a great sleep will overcome our obstacles as they do here with David. God's ways are mysterious, but they're also emboldening and glorious for those who are allegiant to him. Finally, then, uh, let's define that allegiance uh, much more briefly at the end here. Allegiance has two traits. David spells them out for us here. They're called righteousness and faithfulness. So David leaves the camp and then he shouts out, hey, military commander, uh, you've not really done your job. I've been right into the camp, right up to the next assault. And uh, it looks like you've had a pretty severe lapse of judgment and security last night. Why were you not protecting your king? And then Saul actually overhears, recognizes it's David. And verse 17, uh, we pick up the story again. Saul recognized David's voice and said, is that your voice, David, my son? David replied, yes, it is, my lord, the king. But David isn't uh, ready to listen to the usual spin of Saul and the confusion that he brings. And he makes that clear, verse 18. And he added, why is my Lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? And what wrong am I guilty of? Now let my Lord and the king listen to his servant's word. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept my, an offering. If, however, people have done it, may they be cursed before the Lord. They have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, go serve other gods. Do not let your, my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Why are you driving me from the promised land, says David? Why are you going to let me die, not in my own land that was promised to our ancestors? Who set you against me? Is it God or is it man? Knowing full well that it's not just any man, it's Saul himself who set himself against David. Verse 21, then Saul said, I've sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. We've heard this before. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. Come home, forgive me, says Saul. But David ignores his empty and at best short-lived promises he's learned from the past. Verse 22, David says, here's the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. Send someone to collect your spear I am not coming back, says David. And then here comes the key to this passage, and we've already alluded to it. Verse 23, the Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. He summarizes the whole story, doesn't he, of his allegiance to God's command and word over and above his own uh, will. The Lord rewards everyone for their faithfulness, so their righteousness and faithfulness. There is our calling, isn't it? There is our joy in the Christian life. This is what allegiance to Jesus looks like. Trusting in the mysterious ways of God, it is to be righteous and faithful. 
Now, David doesn't mean a kind of perfect righteousness that earns us salvation before God. His psalms and his life, as we've already talked about, show us how far short he will fall of God's perfect righteousness. He and we need only faith in the perfectly righteous Jesus for salvation. But once saved by grace alone in Christ, our allegiance to Jesus now looks like righteousness and faithfulness. This is how we live our lives. A righteousness that desires to seek God's will, not our own, as we've been talking about. A righteousness that seeks to trust God's ways, even when they're unknown and mysterious to us. And a faithfulness that is always looking to Jesus, not ourselves. See, faith is to look at something. What do you put your faith in? And we either look at ourselves or we look elsewhere to Jesus. Like Abishai, uh, choosing David's will and not his own comfort, he looked to David. Like David, choosing God's way, not his own, when faced with the option to have Saul finally killed, he looked up instead and chose God's will, not his own. God's ways are mysterious, but our way is very clear. We are to be righteous and faithful, copying the one who was perfectly righteous and faithful for us. There's no other way to live, no other cause that is greater or more worthy in this life. We simply need to give our allegiance to Jesus, to trust and be emboldened by the mysterious ways of God and live a life of righteousness and faithfulness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your kindness and your goodness to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is perfectly righteous, perfectly faithful for us and in our place. We praise you that we have salvation through him alone. And if we believe that, Lord, we thank you that you've brought us to repentance and we pray that you would make us more and more allegiant to him. Help us not to associate just for our benefit, but to be allegiant for our benefit and for your glory. May we choose righteousness and faithfulness every day in every situation. Forgive us for the times we've got that wrong in the past. We thank you that we're saved by Jesus, but change our hearts now and help us to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.